This evening, uh, I want to share with you for a few minutes from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. That's going to be my main um, reference, and I'm going to ask you just to, um, okay, Matthew 28, 16 through um, through 20, and I'm reading from the NIV. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. This is happening after the resurrection of Jesus. Unfortunately, Judas is no longer there. I mean, had he asked forgiveness, he would have gotten it. But he didn't, so the 11 are there. They went to the mountain where Jesus told them to go, because Jesus had sent words to them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I will be with you always to the end of the age. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. So, this evening, we're asking the question, and I'm going to ask each of you to ask yourself that question in terms of the passage that I have just read. How well am I doing? How well am I doing? Now, I want to ask you, what is your main purpose for being a Christian? What is your main purpose for being a Christian? For Say that again? For others. For others, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, very good, very good. Any other comments? Yes, John. Yes. Yes, just want to be saved. But having having become a Christian, what what do you think your one of your main purposes on earth is? Yes. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, in in um, in any situation that you're in, there has to be a point of testing. Meaning, I'm speaking now scholastically, a point of testing to see how much material you've uh, assimilated during the period of training and how proficient you are, so that you can get your certification. So. Um, that's the context in which I ask the question um, today. How well am I doing in terms of discipling the lost for Christ? How well am I doing? And I'm going to ask you to meditate on that as we go through the process. Because towards the end, I'll say something. Um, yes. Um, how are some of the ways that we can reach a loss for Christ in today's world? Talk back to me. Yes. Again, the fear 
sharing your story. That's one. Hmm? No, say that again. Oh, through music. Yes, absolutely. Yes, being an example, um, live in a way that people see Christ in you. Mm -hmm. Any other? To pray, yes, absolutely. Now, um, so the passage I just read, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, the 11, the 11 closest to him after his resurrection, when he gave them this commission, which today is known as the Great Commission. But I want to assure you that Jesus was not only speaking to them, but he was speaking to each and every one of us. I'm going to share something with you. Let's look at John 17, 20 through 21. It's a great passage that I dearly love. John 17, 20 through 21. This is Jesus speaking. Um, He is getting ready to go to the cross. Jesus is. And he first prays for himself. He prays for himself. And then he prays for his disciples that are there with him. And then, John, he prayed for you. Brother Lynn, he prayed for you. Barbara, he prayed for you. This is what John writes. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning not for the disciples that are with me alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me, And I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Let me tell you something, my brothers and sisters. That night when Jesus was getting ready to go to Calvary, Sonny, he knew you by name. He knew me by name. He's God. He knew us by name. Brother Tim, he knew you by name. And so when he was praying here, he was praying for you individually. You, you must take this personally because it was meant to be personal. And that should also give us shivers when we think about what he was doing. You know, I grew up on a farm and we had chickens. And, um, yeah, they, they were free-range initially. Once we started raising a lot of them, they had to be in a coop. But even when they were free-ranged, you still had to care for them. Um, one of the things, there were two critters that we were deathly afraid of in rural Jamaica. One was from the air and the other was from the ground. The one on the ground was mongoose. Oh, this was one fierce fella. You didn't want to tangle with one of them because they would take off a finger if they, if, if, if they could. And, and so 
we would hear the chickens scream. And we quickly assessed whether it was from the ground or from the air. If it, the other one was a hawk, we called a chicken hawk that would fly down and grab them. And if it, we assessed it was from the air, then we broke branches and began to wave the branches to chase them away. If it was from the ground, then we kind of gathered the chickens. That they, they knew also, and they ran towards us once there was uh, an outcry. The fact of the matter is that in caring for the young ones, we have to nurture, we have to protect, we have to provide for them, and we have to make sure that they're safe. It is no different than when people come to Christ. Getting people saved is the easy part of the thing. The Holy Spirit, you pray and you talk to them, the Holy Spirit touches their hearts and they give their lives to the Lord. Where the rubber hits the ground is in discipleship. Discipleship. Um, our mission vision statement here says that we exist to allow people to develop as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That is where the challenge comes in as brothers and sisters. You know, we have to understand that this is a long-term commitment. And it is a commitment that we have to put skin in the game. It's going to be tough. But you know something? It's a most rewarding thing. I've had the privilege of listening to Christians who have lived a successful life of reaching the lost for Christ as they're getting ready to go home. And they tell you that they have done their duty. They have done their job. The Holy Spirit has revealed to them that they have achieved what God intended for them to achieve. And so here we are in the race now. We have to remember that. The first commandment that we have, or the first command that we have from Jesus is to go. Go. Um, there is a missionary that we support, missionary couple, Nick and Marilyn Crate. They're in the Pacific island of Palau. Marilyn is the daughter of a missionary. They were in Honduras. While she was in Honduras at age 10, she saw a magazine, and the magazine referenced the island of Palau. And she told herself from age 10 that she would one day become a missionary to Palau. 19 years later, <laughs> along with her husband, Nick, God called them to Palau, and they are actively ministering there today. So for some of us, it's going to be a call to an overseas location. For some of us, God is going to call us from the state in which we live, maybe the state in which we were born, and send us across the nation somewhere else. To put down roots, if we listen to his call, we will do that. But for, for some of us, it's going to be right where we live. And that's the case for most of us. It is going to be right where we live. Very interesting. Chris and myself happen to live on the same street. And we have this thing of praying for our neighbors. <laughs> we do that together. And 
And, and we, we make it known whenever I meet somebody walking, ask them, do you live on the street? Know that we pray for you um, constantly. And we ask if there are any special needs that they have. And there are even people who might be challenging who live on the street who respect the fact that we are Christians and know that we are. And that is what we need to do wherever we go. So, as I said earlier, that most of the people that God is going to call us to minister to are going to be right in our backyards. They're going to be our neighbors. Um, People that we know and that we see every day. Now, what we need to do is understand that nothing at all that we do in the spiritual realm is done by the physical. We are beginning to fail if we think, I love my neighbor, so I'm going to go talk to them and see if I can win them to the Lord. Because this is a spiritual matter. We must first consult the Lord. We must prepare ourselves. Because let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does. He first covers your mouth. And tells you exactly what to say. But while he's doing that, he's touching their hearts and making them receptive to what you say. I don't know if any of you have had situations where you go to speak to somebody about Christ. And as far as you're concerned, you've babbled and said a pile of stuff that didn't make sense. And yet that individual said, I would like to give my life to the Lord. You had very little to do with it. You were just a mouthpiece. And so we must remember that it is the Holy Spirit uh, that, um, that allows us um, to do that. We must also depend on the Holy Spirit to make us persistent without being annoying. You know how some people can get on your nerves. And if we go... And we're trying to do this on our own. We're going to come across as being annoying to people. Every day I see this person. This is all they're talking about. But when the Holy Spirit gives you unction, the Holy Spirit allows you to touch them where they live. And they will not view it as annoying. It will be affecting their hearts. So again, remember, we must arm ourselves with the full armor of God. The whole armor. So that we can... Uh, go and defeat the wiles of the devil. We must demonstrate the love of Christ by the way we relate to people. We must demonstrate the love of Christ by the way we relate to people. Be prepared to be the recipient of harsh comments, of things happen to you in ways that you would not understand, but be prepared to accept it so that others will see you react in a way that makes them wonder, why did Brother Lynn react to this situation like that? And they may even want to come and ask you, but certainly when you go and speak to them, you would have already established uh, a respect in their eyes because of how you conducted yourself. So we must demonstrate love, the love of Christ, in the way that we treat our neighbors. Our neighbors are supposed to know that we are saved before we tell them. <laughs> they are supposed to know that we are saved before we tell them. They are to see Christ in us. Sometimes that is what opens the conversation when they come to us and say, 
I noticed so-and-so about you, or I noticed that about you. And it gives you an opportunity to say, um, the me that you know now is not the me that existed until I met Jesus Christ. I am now a new creation. And then that opens the opportunity for you to minister to them. Ask your neighbors if there is something you can pray with them about. There's always an opportunity. Always an opportunity. You know, um, I have a neighbor across the street. He's a tall, skinny, Caucasian guy. When you see his legs, you know that he has to be careful. He's probably in his late 70s, early 80s. But he opted to cut some branches from a tree that was affecting his neighbor across the street who is on dialysis. And when I heard he was going to do that, my plan was to go out there and hold the ladder for him while he was doing this. Well, I got back and I noticed that a couple of the lower branches had come down, but they were just sitting on the curb and a week had gone by and nothing had happened. So I decided to remove them, and, and they were on my neighbor's curb. I decided to remove them. And then I asked about him and heard that he was in the hospital, that he had gone up on the ladder, fallen off the ladder, and broke his leg. And, um, yeah, so I realized that the neighbor across the street was a police officer and his wife were going to see him. So I wrote them, I wrote a note to him, my neighbor who was in the, he was in the rehab by now. And I told my neighbors across the street that I'm leaving the note unsealed so that they should read it because they shouldn't carry anything they didn't see. But I wanted them to see what I'd written. Um, just talking to him about the fact that I'm very sorry that he broke his leg, and that I'm proud of the fact that he, was, he did so helping a neighbor, and that's a godly thing to do, and that I will be praying for him, that he will heal quickly, and he will come out. God will always provide an opportunity for you to do those things if you step there. So again, my question is, how are you doing? How are you doing? Now, some of us might be tempted to give ourselves a very high grade. That's our personality, and um, we might view things differently from reality. And, and that's okay. That's okay. As long as you know that it is by God's grace and God's strength alone that you're doing it. But if you give yourself a high grade as you go through this process of thinking about it, be careful not to usher in complacency. Because if you think that you're doing everything that you need to do, you might be missing a lot of things because we can always do better than we are doing at any point in time. If, on the other hand, you give yourself a low grade, then you've also got to be careful because you could utter in or encourage discouragement into your heart because you don't view 
what you're doing as being effective. Bear in mind now, folks, we have the power. <laughs> Acts 1 8 says, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you will be witnesses. Witnesses. You will speak in the Lord's name. And so it's important that we understand that. So bear in mind, don't overestimate what you're doing and don't underestimate what you're doing. We must recognize that we have this power within us. I'm going to read a passage from um, John 1. Let's see if I find it here. Yeah, let me just let me just go to that. Praise the Lord. Not John. I'm sorry. Revelation. I'm looking. I'm looking for. I'm thinking about thinking about um, the apostle John. Um, Revelation one, and um, beginning. And um, one second here, let me just tell you. Yes. John was on the Isle of Patmos. He was in exile. Jesus appeared to him to give him the revelation of things that should come. And John says here in verse 17, starting in verse 17, When I saw him, meaning when I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. Here is the power that we have within us. The power that we have available to us at our disposal. Jesus himself. He will not send us to do something that he does not give us the authority and the power and the ability to do. The Holy Spirit, he appeared to John himself then. But the Holy Spirit now resides. Not only is the Holy Spirit with us, the Holy Spirit is in us. You know, the great patriarchs who did all these great things, whether it be Moses or Elijah or Joseph, the Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them to do these things while God was orchestrating this. But upon the death of Jesus Christ, praise God, he told his disciples, I'm going, but I'm sending you another comforter. And he will be with you. He now resides within us and he leads us into all truth. And because of that, we have power. So let us not sit back and act afraid when we're in the background. We must stand up and we must express the power. Let me tell you something. I'm in the process of writing my autobiography. And the greatest 25 years of my life is the last 25 years that I spent here. 
during that period of time, I'm noting some tremendous things that God did. You know, we talk about how God was great and how he did miraculous things in years gone by. But we don't stop sometimes to think. Let me share something with you. In 2004, this church, 13 of us went on a mission trip to Lucy Hanover in northwest Jamaica. And I remember the night when we went out to the meeting ground that we were going. This was an oatmeal meeting. We were under a large tree. There was lightning right, left, and center. And we were under a tree. The mosquitoes were biting like crazy. And we were out there to worship. We warned our members that there was no bathrooms available to them, so they better use the bathrooms before they got out there because we were in the middle of nowhere. Our pastors at the time, Pastor Benton and Barbara Benton, were our leaders on this trip. And we began to worship. And we just began to worship. And while we were worshiping, all of a sudden we realized that mosquitoes weren't biting anymore. (laughs) Mosquitoes weren't biting anymore. Not a soul wanted to go to the bathroom. And the lightning just petered out. That night... 20 people stepped forward and gave their lives to the Lord. God is operating in our day, in our day. And I'm winding down. On that same trip, there was a gentleman. His name was Egbert. We'll never forget because Egbert French was on that trip. And um, this gentleman gave a testimony. Now, you Jamaicans will understand this, but you non-Jamaicans, I'll have to explain for you. Egbert was testifying now as a member of the church. He said he was in his house. And you have to understand, um, generally, now a lot of the churches are air-conditioned, but generally the windows are wide open. And the preachers were on the microphone. So wherever you are, you were in church, man. Because the word was coming to you. So he was in his bed, and he was mad because the preacher was preaching on him. And so... He got up, he said, and he consulted Mr. Ray and his nephew. Now, let me explain. All the Jamaicans know what that is. Ray's nephew is the top white rum in Jamaica. (laughs) White rum. So, (laughs) he he, he got himself filled with the spirit. And he decided to go down to the church to break up the service. And he said, I walk in the front door, and my legs took over. And the next thing I was at the altar, pounding the altar, giving my life to the Lord. And by the next Sunday, he was in church, saved, and he was there giving that testimony. God is at work in our midst today, just like he did in years gone by. So I challenge you this evening, my brothers and sisters, to draw near to him. Draw near to him and depend on him. We can't do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. We need, we need him completely. So, in closing, let me again just reiterate some of the things I said. Think about your family members your spouse, your direct children, and think about what 
it would be like in heaven if they're lost. You know, there are twice in the Bible that Scripture says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And one is for those who made it through the tribulation. The second will be at the judgment seat of Christ when we Christians get to stand up. And I believe most of what we're going to cry about is the lost opportunities that we had. But I believe in that God has made provision for us to be free of the pain for those family members who are lost. Because we can't go through eternity with that. That would not be heaven. But think about it today in the context of our humanity. And think about how we pray earnestly for our children and our lost family members. Yet, they're no more precious to God than the neighbor down the street who is rum drinking and cursing, who needs the Lord. So, how many times have we knelt down in our homes and cried tears over the neighbors and their children or over somebody across the country because they're related to somebody you know. That's a passion that we must take for each and every lost person because Jesus died for them. And if we do that, we'll find that the, the Holy Spirit will touch everything that we do. Do what you can do and leave the rest to him. Even when it appears that nothing is happening, there are some people who will not accept the Lord until they're on their deathbed. They're going to say, Lord, have mercy on my soul. And they'll be like the thief on the cross. But that will happen because you prayed for 20 years for them. So I challenge you, my brothers and sisters, let us continue to seek the Lord. Jesus is our portion. Jesus is our portion. What a tremendous day when we stand in his presence. When we stand in his presence to give him honor and glory because of what he has done for us. God bless you all. We love you dearly. Continue to pray for us as we continue to pray for you. God bless you. Let us, let us close in a word of prayer. If you can stand, would you stand for prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks for your goodness to us. We ask you, Lord, to anoint each and every person here tonight. Give them a special anointing, O oh Father God. Not just them, but them, their families, Lord, near and far, that you will pour out your spirit upon them in a special way. Holy Spirit, now that you have planted this seed in their hearts, may this be a refreshing, Lord. Touch their hearts again and to get a recommitment to leading and, um, men and women to you, Lord God, and to allowing them to grow into becoming truly devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks always for your goodness, Lord God. I pray your blessing upon each and every person here. I pray your healing portion upon everyone who is suffering, Lord God. And every family member that's suffering, that you will reach out through them and touch that person with your healing power, Lord God. I pray that there will be testimonies upon testimonies of deliverance that has taken place because of what you have done in this church, O oh Lord. We honor you and we give you thanks and we give you praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord.